Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode two of Huey Off the Record. And quite honestly, I'm really blown away by the reaction to the pod so far. And I'm loving doing it, and I'm excited to see where this goes. If you enjoyed the first episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod so you never miss a beat. And tell your friends, spread the word. The more listeners, subscribers, and five-star reviews we get, the better everything goes. So spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. I've got a very special guest on the pod today, but before we get into that... I have some cool information I have to share with you. I'm doing a merch giveaway for the whole of the month of May when you sign up to my mailing list at the website HueyMorgan.com. No catch, no BS. Just sign up for my mailing list, totally free, and we send you relevant news and updates. First shout on tickets to any live shows I might have coming up, that kind of thing. And everyone who signs up during May will automatically get entered into a prize draw for one of five merch bundles, including an exclusive Huey Off The Record t-shirt an exclusive hashtag the people's champ hat. Nobody has one of those yet. They're not for sale. You know what I'm saying? The winners will be the only peeps to have them. You'll also get a signed copy of my book, Huey Morgan's Rebel Heroes. Spectacular book, if I may say so myself. And a signed print of yours truly to hang on your wall and gaze at. So sign up and tell your friends. Go to HueyMorgan.com and get into the prize draw for some cool, exclusive Huey merch. Sarait, sarait. Okay, so let's get into it. Like I said, a very special guest on today's pod. Changing gears a little bit from my first episode with Ricky, switching it up to connect with my man, Tim Latham. I've known Tim for over 20 years, and quite frankly, he is the best set of ears in the music business. And you get a lot of people telling you that. A lot of Grammys to his name, too. He's a Grammy Award-winning sound engineer and producer who's worked with us, the Fun Level Criminals, and all our records, as well as pretty much every other awesome record you've ever heard, from De La to Tribe, and a few off-the-wall numbers. And he talks about his varied resume as well. We're brothers. I love this guy. I love his family. We've had to slow down a little bit to make sure you could understand us on this one because we get to talking about the old days in the studio when it just gets a little off the chain. Uh, we talk about what's going on in the music business today and some crazy wild stories and connections that we both have. The type of shit you get when you have a combined 50 years of the music business. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. So kick back, pour yourself something nice, unless you're driving, in which case, pull over first. And tune into a very New York conversation between two old school music dudes. I'm in my man cave in the UK for this one, and Tib is in his man cave slash studio in Long Island in New York. Tim, 
reminded me, I was talking to Becky earlier, and I was like, you know, I remember meeting Tim Latham. I thought I was going to get arrested. Do you remember that story? I told you that one. Oh yeah, hell man. Yes, you were you were in Mike Schnapp's office. Yep. And he was like, yeah, come up to the office. I think we kind of knew you were coming, but I don't know if that was like the exact moment. But I walked in this office, and you were there. I was like, oh man, it caught up with me. Dude, you know, funny. I've never told you guys this, but the God's honest truth. As I'm walking towards the building, I walk past you and fast. He was a bald out like smoking a cigarette, right? <laughs> I had no idea who, the, who, you, who you were, and I'm just like, look at these fucking hoodlums. As I walk past you and I sit down, I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> these fucking guys. I got to be in a studio with these fuck, fuck Bob Power. Oh, it's hysterical, dude, because I'm like, I'm walking by like fucking hoodlums as I walk right past you, you know? It's like, yeah, hoodlums. <laughs> <laughs> hoodlums in the black. Yo, I tell you, man, that, that was a funny time, though. That was... I mean, for for me, it was my my first time in the music business, obviously. But it was really weird because when I got into it, it was like still the the razzle dazzle, man. They were just you know, the yeah, EMI was real. They were, it was for real razzle dazzle. You know, they yeah. they were backing it up with checks, man. I thought that was wild. Food accounts, budget. Yeah, oh my budget. god, yeah, that that was incredible. Like Snap, he like we went from like starving musicians to having pot bellies by the time we finished that first record, man. That was only like six days. Yeah, I know that's crazy too, man. <laughs> but it, it's really bugged out. When I first met you, when we started working together, I think we clicked for a lot of reasons. But I think we clicked because we weren't trying to complicate shit, you know? Exactly, dude. I, you know, all things being considered, I was fairly young for my, you know, for where I was in my career. And you, you guys are literally the first ones that handed me the keys without hesitation. They said, no, 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 man, you do what you do, we're going to do what we do, we do. And I'm just like, fuck it, yeah, man, this, this, is, this is how you fucking make records, bro. It, it, was, it was really great for us. I mean, I remember I talked to Fast about this, because we did the 20th anniversary of that last I year. Know. Dude. And, and we got yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> we're talking uh, about the Fun Love of Criminals first record, Come Find Yourself, for, for you guys. I know sometimes we talk fast, but we're trying to get around the points. But the thing was, we went in the studio as producers on a major label for a record that we just, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing to the large extent. But Tim, who had been working as an engineer for a long time, we kind of went in there together. And I, I, we, like we said, we recorded it in like five or six days, most of it. Yeah, 90% of it was done. We started on a Tuesday, and Sunday we walked out of there. On a Monday, you guys had taken off. So I think uh, Fast was still working at... Uh Limelight on Sunday night, so he had to leave the studio and he had to work all night. So we figured we'll take Mondays off and work Tuesday through Sunday. Yeah. So I got on the horn up here on mine, like, I'll get it done. <laughs> like, what do you mean you're done? He's like, we're done. We got like another 20 minutes worth of work to get done. They thought you were, gonna, you thought you were quitting. They're like, what do you mean these guys are being pricks to you? What's going on? <laughs> I was like, we're done. It was awesome. So, I mean, I, I know that like before, before we started hanging out, because I remember we were talking because we had all that time, because they label after we finished that first week. They were like, you can't be finished. You have another 28 days or something in the studio or whatever, 21 days. And we spent a lot of time hanging out and talking and stuff. And, you know, I think that's why we ended up being friends for so long, because we actually gave a fuck about each other's experiences and shit. And exactly. I, I remember you were telling me some amazing shit, because you were working at Battery Studios, right? When you first, well, yep. you, didn't, you went to, you went to, well, tell me about your school, because you went to base school, right? No, I went to uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Oh, man. They call it, what's the nickname for that place? Oh, Jesus. I used to call it, like, uh, Berkeley School of Guitar for Little Boys. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out of, like, 2,500 students, like, fucking 900 of them were guitar players, and, like, two of them can play. Wow. It's different now, but when I'm back in the day, I mean, that was, like, you know, whatever it was, like, 
almost 30 years ago it was like that, but now it's like it's much better now. So, yeah, it's it's weird, man. Because you, you, but you played bass there, right? Yeah, yeah. I went there originally as you know as a bass, like as a performance major. Wow. And then uh, you know, I, my old man called me, who never who would never pick up the phone to call anybody, <laughs> and. Uh, it's so like my roommate's like, yo, your father's on the phone. I'm just like, oh, I'm like, who? So I get on the phone. I'm like, who died? It's like, nobody did. Just do me one. Ask me, ask me, answer me this question. I'm like, shoot, pop, because um, uh, where do you fill out an application to be a rock star? <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, where do you fill out an application to be bass player? I'm like, dad, I'm like, oh, what the fuck are you talking about? He goes, like, do me a favor, just major in something where you can at least apply for a job. I'm like, how about engineering? He goes. Uh, whatever the fuck that is, if you're gonna block the job, <laughs> just do that. Then I'm like, all right, cool, and he hung up the phone. Man, well, I know. I mean, <laughs> Inspector Latham was was a formidable dude, man. I mean, was that someone when you were growing up? Was it like you know? Because I think in a lot of ways, like your work ethic kind of comes through where your parents were working. I mean, with me, it was my mom was just like, you know, just trying to always, you know, do better than she did the day before, right? And oh, hell yeah. I remember you told me that great story about your dad when he was a rookie, but I'm not going to get into that if you don't want to tell that oh, story. Oh, God, it's I mean, he, he's passed, but I don't think the statute of limitations has run out yet, and yeah. I'm still probably, like, an accessory after yeah. the fact. <laughs> we don't want to get him in trouble with St. Peter, man. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, no, what I'm saying is, like, you know, he, he, was, he was a serious guy, right? I guess when you're an engineer, he was like, yeah, that sounds like it might work on somebody's application, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, like, one day he came into the studio, and after, like, ten minutes, he goes, how the hell are you sitting here listening to the same goddamn thing all day long? I don't hear a shit of difference of what you're doing. <laughs> it's like, well, that's why I do what I do. And uh, he's like, all right, whatever this is, thanks. Well, I, mean, I, you know, I, I, I keep tell, telling Bo the story. My boy keeps wondering about sugar stories, and every time he goes to uh, bed, I tell man. him sugar story. So I told him the time he tried to dig to China. When yep. I came, so, <laughs> so Sugar's at, at the Latham Pet Farm, and we're out on tour, and I come back, and I'm talking to your dad in the backyard, your dad and your sister, right? And, yep. he, and I'm like, what, what, are you, what are you building over in the backyard? Because <laughs> this is a big six-foot hole, man. <laughs> and your dad's like, I'm not building anything here. That's, uh, that's your dog did that. I was like, oh, oh. And then your sister starts laughing. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. I, you know, I didn't know. She's like, look. It made her happy, so we let her do it. <laughs> and like he was like, when, when the Chinamen were coming through the hall, I would have bopped him on the head with a bat. But you know, or like a service revolver. Or yeah, yeah, exactly, a throwaway piece, man. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I want to talk about like when we first started hanging out. We, we were always pulling your coat about all the hip hop bands you worked with in the studio, because yep. Battery was like the place where all these dudes would roll through, right? Was it Jive's studio or something? Yeah, Battery was owned, was under Zamba. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Tribe and them, right? Yeah, but Zamba was like, yeah, so Zamba owned, was Zamba Publishing to start with, and when it's, and also owned, uh, it was Jive Records. So it was Zamba Publishing, Jive Records, so it was, you know, it was uh, Boogie Down Productions, it was Tribe in the very beginning, and actually Billy Ocean was kind of the one who put the whole thing on the map for us. So, really? Yeah. Billy Ocean's a cool dude. I met him, man. He's cool. He's mad cool. Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's mad cool. He's a serious cool guy, man. Yeah, but actually, I mean, Battery, the first one, was actually in out in Wilsden, actually. I actually did a couple of records out there once, a couple of times out in, um, I don't know, whatever, what, northwest London, I guess. Yeah, I, I used to live up that way, NW2 or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, they started there. They came over to the States, and the guy, the other Clive, I called Clive Calder, was, like, just completely on the down low, just, like, built, like, this, like literal empire. 
And uh, so Battery was one of the studios, like, was, like, kind of, like, became, like, the studio. But, dude, like, were they washing bad money? I heard they were washing bad money because, dude, all of a sudden was buying everybody's publishing from them. Dude had, well, let's put it this way. He had pub- he had everybody's yeah, publishing. Yeah, he had bought it, though, with some kind of money. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I don't know how we, like, uh, what's the word they use? Fungible? <laughs> fungible? But I know, I mean, he's South African, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, with, you know, no disrespect or anything like that, I'm pretty sure he was, like, a, a diamond miner as well. In the conflict diamonds and shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't know, bro. It was kind of shady, but, um, oh. yeah, so, but he started the whole thing, and it was, like I said, it's like, so he built Battery Studios in New York, and it, it quickly became, like, the spot for, like, hip-hop records, and it was when Jive, they had all they had Tribe on it because you worked on a couple of Tribe records. That's how we actually got put on you. Was Bob Power? Yep, Uncle Bob. How'd you meet Uncle Bob? Uh, I was at Battery, you know, and he was coming through, and it was like like the way he kind of like landed, kind of like in the driver's seat, was he was working for a uh, like a production studio. He was like a, a composer, and a lot of times like the engineers just wouldn't show up, so he was like by default became like his own engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it was this place called Calliope. I remember Calliope. Yeah, you know what building it was in? Yeah, yeah crazy man. It was uh, it was the, the top floor penthouse of a place that became like minor music or something. Yeah, like that. it was our old manager's spot that's gone back. You ended up fucking suing yeah. us. Yeah, so that was Calliope Studios actually, and that's where Bob came from. So he he would come into Battery every once in a while, and um, you know. He's not shy about this either, but, you know, he would come in and he would, you know, he has amazing ears, but, like, some of the technical stuff, he didn't really, you know, have it, you know, he didn't have it on lock, so. Yeah. He would just have me do, like, more of all the technical stuff for him, and we just, like, the same thing, like, with, like, you and I and Fast, like, we just formed, like, this bond where me and Bob were just, like, working on records, like, like, literally, like, the second time that I met him. Wow, that's cool though. Because he was a righteous dude. We had see uh, the, how, the story of how we got to you is a little bit weird too. Like we had signed this deal with EMI, and mm-hmm. uh, we had worked out this eight record deal with them, and we were trying to figure out how we were going to actually start recording the record. And we had made a little bit of a demo tape at Steve O's house because he had that studio with his brother. And, yep. you know, it was it ended up being what the record was, but we we had this kind of demo tape right, and we. Were, we EMI was like anybody in the world because David Segerson was he was uh, what's his name he was uh, a record producer for like the Bangles and shit like that he was the CEO and president he's the dude that gave us our deal because Schnapp Uncle Mike Schnapp brought us up that so it was kind of weird because he was like who do you want to produce your record and like we kind of were banging a lot of Tribe Called Quest back then man we like (laughs) love because we knew we were a live band but we like we want that low end man we want that tight boom bap you know because it, it kind of have it. One heads to nod, bro. You yeah, gotta have it, you, you gotta have it, right? So they, we looked at who produced that record. It was Bob Power. So we said Bob Power, and they were like, "Okay, give us your demo tape. We'll send it over to Bob's and, and see what he says." So he took a meeting with us. We're sitting around a table with David Segerson, you know, pretty much Got all it. the people on the board at, at uh, EMI America. And uh, Bob goes, you know, first I like to say, and this is how cool Bob is. He goes, first thing I like to say is. These guys don't need a producer. They just need a great engineer. And he looks over at us. He goes, his name's Tim Latham. I'll give you his number. And, <laughs> and like, this is in front of, like, a whole board of, of EMI, right? And we were like, damn, but we really want you to come to the studio with us, you know? He's like, don't worry. Tim Latham, he'll know what to do. And, by the way, how'd you get the guitar sound on that one track? And we were like, what? 
And that's how we got put onto you, bro. And I was sitting out, I was actually in LA when I got the call from Schnapp working with uh, the far side. Oh, dude. Yeah, dude, like, everything was, like, kind of winding down out there, and I got the call from Schnapp. It's like, I'll be on a plane tomorrow morning. I know, I never heard of these, whatever, you know. He reached out to me, trying to explain the whole thing to me. He's like, yo, man, I'll be at JFK tomorrow morning, man. So it was, like, a, like a day or two later, I passed you Woodlips in the street without you knowing it. <laughs> Walked upstairs, and, and, you know, whatever it is, like, 23 years later, we're still friends. Yeah, for real, man. And, you know, we, I think we've worked together on every every record we put out, man, so... It's, every one. Every, every damn one. And the thing is, like, you are the, the fourth criminal, you know? And it's kind of always been that way. And they always, we always kind of throw that term around because it's it, when you're in the studio with somebody, it's like, you know, especially when it's just four of us, right? It's not like there were, maybe there was the assistant engineer, but that dude was just exactly. rolling, He was pretty much rolling joints and, and syncing the tape machines up and stuff. Yep. But, I mean, you, you're more of a hands-on engineer than that a lot of people give you credit for, I think. Because, I mean, I mean, you were going into patch bays and doing all this other shit. Like, you had your skills down, you know what I'm saying? You had the knowledge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most like the assistants were just, you know, with the exception of, of course, Juan over at Steve Rosenthal's yeah, Magic yeah, Sound. Yeah, yeah, basically slowing me down. So just, just get the, you know, get out of my way. <laughs> you're slowing so, me down, kid. You're slowing me exactly. down. If you're not three steps ahead of me, you're behind me. So <laughs> <laughs> but, you I mean, know, that was like, yeah, that was like my upbringing was like that with my pop. So it's just like, that's how we got... That's how that whole work ethic carried through. Yeah, because I'm, I'm like going in there and just because I remember we went in there. It was like at, at the magic shop on Crosby Street, which is not there anymore, yep. unfortunately. But Sadly. arguably the best tracking studio in the world. Yeah, it was my favorite place on the planet. Yeah, and Steve was, was like he's my favorite, one of my favorite people in the industry, if not the. Yeah, he was favorite. so awesome, man. He still is awesome. I mean, the studio he's wasn't still, there, but he's yeah. still he's still there. But he's he, still a man. But yeah, <laughs> but that, that wasn't like I remember doing that first record, man. And, like, weird kind of things, like, you know, Ben's Pizza. I think of Ben's Pizza, the big board, which is where we kept yep. all the songs and all the different parts of all the songs so we knew what we had. The big whiteboard. Yeah, the big whiteboard. And doing vocal tracks and, and opening up the vocal booth and looking through the whole studio and seeing the cobblestones out on Crosby Street. Because they yep. had that one, that right from that vocal booth on the left, you could just look yep. all the way down. It's fucking great, man. I love that. I mean, it really was magic, but it was like making a record in your house is what it felt like. It was just so comfortable. Yeah. And I just thought that was really the perfect spot for us to go in and, you know, for you guys to get comfortable in a room and stuff yeah. like that, being your first record and stuff. And it just, obviously, I mean, it's plain to say that it worked out for everybody. Yeah, so, I, and, yeah, it's crazy that we went in there. And, like, we went in there. It was the first day we did drums because we built the tent, right? No, the first day was sequences. So we dropped the yeah, sequences. Yeah, we laid down, like, all, like, the sequence tracks. Yeah. And then, we, you know, the method that we came up with then was, like, Steve-O did his thing. Yeah. And then it was just, like, you know, you and 50 would go in and do, you know, the bass and guitar, something, like, a lot of times together. And when I try to explain to anybody who, you know, who's a fan of the record, and there are many, many of them, like, I tell them, I was like, look, 99% of that record is the first take. Yeah, that's the crazy shit. I mean, because we're you going to, uh, if people think about, like, Steely Dan going in the studio or Pink Floyd, even with it's those... Nine days, I don't know. I, I, I like to curse as much as I typically You can curse all the fuck you want, man. <laughs> yeah, like, going in there for nine fucking days to try to get a hi-hat sound, it's just like, gee, oh, get no fucking way, man. I could, I could not, I couldn't do that. It, it just yeah, seems so. like it was, I mean, it's also maybe a different age, but us going in there, we were we were motivated to get it down quickly because we thought at any moment, because you know we are who we are, uh, we thought at any moment the record label would 
just admit their mistake and like you take a yeah, step of the rug you know, I've seen it happen too many times I just like pull the rug out from people yeah and like you know then we had we had kind of talked about it like you know this is some different shit and you were like yo I like it because it's different shit but yeah you're right there's some different shit so we were like yo let's get it down before you know someone from uptown comes down and just pulls the plug on it so that initially yeah. was why I think but I I don't think we consciously were like yo let's let's cut corners I think that was the thing we found it so easy working with you because Anything we, we had, like, an op idea about, you'd, like, here are eight options around that idea. And that was, like, amazing for someone to actually be that that on on side, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of were in our heads as well. We all kind of, like, laid it out. Yeah, I mean, because it was, I won't say it was easy, but it was, I mean, a lot easier because you guys are just, like, some of the most awesome human beings to hang around with, some of the most awesome being, human beings to make music with. And I was a fan of the music, so I'm just like, wow, man, this is, you know, it was like a dream for me, you know, it was like, you know, I still, like, look back on those days, too, and it's just like, I'm just so grateful for that, like, that first meeting with you guys and, like, everything for the past, you know, it's like 20-something, 20 23 years, yeah, you know, man. since then, I'm just totally, totally grateful for it. Likewise, man, I, I, I did a lot of looking back last year, because it was 20th anniversary and stuff, and I was like, man, we got so lucky that we hung out with all the great people. <laughs> I mean, because it's like 20-something years later, right? And I'm still hanging out with you. I'm still hanging out with, uh, with uh, Mike Schnapp. I'm still hanging out yep. with Fast. You know, it's like, a lot of yeah. times, that shit just don't work, man. I mean, a couple of people fell off, but not nothing major, you know? No, no, it's amazing, yeah. And I try to, like, I, you know, I try to play games with myself. I'm like, oh, wow, that was 20 years ago, man. I'm fucking 50 years old, now, right? <laughs> I was like, 20 years. I'm like, 20 years. All right, so that was, like, the White Album to, like, the first White Snake album. Yeah. And I was like, 20 years. You know wow. what I mean? Or I was like, Benny Goodman to, like, the first Ramones record. I'm like, fuck, man, that's a long time. Or, or as we say a lot of times, from the fucking Motorola to the iPhone, man. Remember the fucking Motorola? Unfortunately, yeah. Well, dude, I mean, I, I when, when I think about the times we used to hang out and order food from Little Charlie's, man... <laughs> and shoot the shit you had like great stories so I remember the, the like you had you had worked with the Wu-Tang Clan and everybody was like what is the Wu-Tang Clan like you're like yeah they're alright <laughs> yeah no there's, yeah, yeah, there's some stories that we just keep on the on, you know we keep close to the vest with that but yeah no I hear you no, but was working yeah, so with Wu-Tang uh Tribe yeah. Dela let's put it like yeah, the Daylight guys, to this day, I see Mace. There. We played some place with them over the summer, and I saw Mace, and, and Becky saw Mace, and we were like, yo, what's up? And he's like, yo, what's happening, fam? Have you spoken to Tim Latham? And we're like, Latham! And, he's like, and then Pops comes over, here's your name. He's like, Latham? And it's just, it's just amazing that, like, you know, a dude, like, I mean, I got, I got to say, like, you've spanned all the different, you know, genres of recording, right? I mean, you won. Yeah, it's pretty funny, man. But you, you just won a Grammy recently, last year, to add to another yeah. Grammy that you had before that. So it's not your first Grammy, it's a second, right? And you yeah, got yeah. this one for recording the soundtrack to the Hamilton musical, right? That, yeah, no, actually, yeah, for, for actually mixing it. For mixing the Hamilton, I mean, dude, that is crazed, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's like literally, you know, you look at my CV and it's, with no joke, it's uh, Britney Spears, the old dirty bastard. <laughs> Rewind out with no, with no joking around. Elmo from Sesame Street. Yeah, he did Elmo's record. Did some shit with Elmo and Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. Who else did the Black Eyed Peas? And then I got Lou Reed up in there. Uh -huh. And I got these fucking hoodlums from New York City, the fun loving criminals. And now I got like Broadway cast albums of it. And so it's. Yeah, you went you from know. you went from hip hop to show tunes. But I mean, but Hamilton, yeah. it's like, like I'm talking to you from my house in England right now. And 
and I tell you, Hamilton's coming over to to London to the West End pretty soon, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. My and, uh, again, it's like I formed a, a relationship with that whole sort of uh, universe of people around Lin Manuel Miranda, the composer, mm-hmm. and my friend Alex uh, Lackamore, who's the Lin's uh, orchestrator and arranger, and he's now the, the musical director. He was a conductor for the show. So now he's kind of going all over the place and setting up all the different companies. So he was he was just in London like a, like a couple of weeks ago, setting up the uh, the, uh, the the band for it. He was setting the whole thing up. Yeah, to get the band. I mean, they're, they're good hitters out here, man. They got good musicians out. It's England, man. It's not Belarus exactly. or nothing. But I mean, it would be interesting to see. I mean, because the show. I mean, if, if people haven't heard of that show, that show is pretty much like one of the biggest Broadway shows in the history of Broadway shows. Am I right? It literally is, yeah. I mean, and it's like with no exaggeration, it's just like um, I had heard about it like six, like more than like in 2012. Yeah. Uh, Alex Lackamore and I were working on a record together, and he's just like, yo, he's like, you're not going to believe Lynn's next project. He's like, it's going to change everything. I'm like, wow. I mean, I, that's kind of a bold statement, but I trust you, you know, emphatically. I was like, I'm like, what is it? He goes, it's Hamilton. The tan dude? The tan yeah, guy? Like, oh, bro, Hamilton, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. No, you're not changing everything with that, bro. Right? <laughs> so I was like, no, 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 no. Alexander Hamilton. I'm like, oh, homeboy that got shot by uh, by, Alec, by Aaron Burr. He's like, yeah. Oh, like, boy. Yeah, and then he's like, but it's a period piece. It's all done in period costume. I was like, oh, that's cool. And he's like... Uh, all the actors are black and brown. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then he said, uh, and it's hip-hop. <laughs> and that was my reaction. I was like, uh, I don't mean to disrespect or anything like that, but it sounds like a punchline, bro. And he kind of got it. Like, he, he knew, like, we knew each other really well by that point, so he knew I wasn't being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. But a hip-hop musical in period costume with black and Latino actors about a, one of the founding fathers... Who would have known? Like I said, it just sounds like a punchline. Who would have known that it was actually the turn into the phenomenon that it actually is? I'll tell you, that motherfucker Lynn got some vision, bro. He is, you know, people like throw that word, the word genius around too loosely. I, yeah, they do. But this dude, he might be one, bro. <laughs> uh, he literally is. I mean, you know, you, a, a, when you're sitting around him, you just can't believe it. Like when I was like, we were mixing the record, like we kind of we had to mix it out of sequence because we had to do all the heavy lifting first because we had this, like a ridiculously tight deadline. With that, there wasn't room. There wasn't like 24 hours of room on either side. We just had to finish it. Wow. So I'd be listening to it, and it's so complex, and the writing is just so incredible. And then I'm thinking, it's like, wow, he wrote everything. He wrote all the music. He wrote all the lyrics for all the actors for all these like. I'm just like I would stop the playback and I would just look at him like. How the fuck did you write this? I was like, this is just insane. And he would kind of like, you know, he'd get like all shy. I'm like, no, really. Like, how the fuck did, how did you write this? And was, then, he, was he like, is he like a, a boy wonder or is he like one of those crazy dudes that just got like too much mind? No, he is like the, one of the nicest, genuinely warm, gentle souls that you will ever meet. He is a wonderful, wonderful human being. Well, he, this was not his first Broadway play though, right? No, that where I met them was on uh, his first play, which was called In the Heights, which is yeah. about life in, you know, up in the, the northern territories of Manhattan. <laughs> I think that the northern territories in wood. <laughs> up on like 240. It's like, yeah. who the hell, you know, 
you only go up there if you're, you know, if you're going up there for a reason. You're not going. You know, you're only going up there if you're going up there for a reason. You don't wander. Yeah, you wander. Yeah, you wander through Central Park on the way to the east side or the west side. You're going downtown or whatever. You don't wander through Washington Heights, you know. So, yeah. So I met them on the cast album for for that. And that's where I met that whole crew. It's the same thing. It's like I've known those guys for 10 years now. We've done like a lot of projects in between together, too. So, Well, I, I remember you started working with those cats, uh, Yerba Buena. Yeah, and that's literally, funny enough, man. It's like he, Andres Levine from Yerba Buena, who actually sang if, on Loco by the Fun Level Criminals. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, so he was kind of like the sort of like producing their first record and like, well, they need an engineer. Like, well, it's like a Latin record, but it's hip hop. And he's like, well, I know this guy I do a bunch of Latin records with him. He's also done a shitload of hip hop. How about this? How about Tim Latham? Like, who the fuck is he? And so, you know, checked out my CV. And it, was Yo, kinda like, it was like a perfect fit. You know, because I did a bunch of, you know, guys like Brazilian, Colombian, Argentina, Peruvian records with Andres. Yeah. And, you know, they tried De La, Far Side, The Roots, yeah, all this, that stuff. You, you definitely had that shit down. But uh, the one thing I, I, I we I talked about... And uh, then it came down to the same thing. So then I, when it came to Hamilton, it's like, all right, so now I'm, uh, I'm really familiar with the uh, like the Broadway cast album genre. Mm-hmm. But I also got my hip-hop Bonafides down still. So again, <laughs> it's just like... All right, Latham's the guy. Latham got the bona fides, man. Bona fides. Bona fides. The thing, the thing. I mean, we talked one time. It, it, we were, I guess, we were hanging out at maybe like a, a Tangier's blues band thing, right? And uh, we, 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 I think you were working with the dude from Giant Step, the flute playing dude. Yeah, yeah, man. What was uh, Richard Worth? Yeah, man. And you were. I remember you telling me something. You were working on this Latin record, and there were ninety something tracks. And I was like, "What the? How the?" And then you were like, "But dude, it's Pro Tools." And this is like on the advent of like that stuff going wide. Yep. And, and like, that was the beginning. yeah, that was the beginning, right? I mean, how did that change like what you do? Because I mean, obviously, you know, there's just more stuff for your ear to to kind of like make sense out of, right? Yeah, it kind of, it's, you know, I'm sort of agnostic towards it. Yeah. Like, some people hated it, and some people loved it. I was just kind of like, it's a tool. And I, I, you know, I come from the from the school that, you know, it's not the tool, it's the fool. Yeah. You know, for people who don't know, Pro Tools is a computer program that allows pretty much anybody with a laptop and, what, 500 bucks to have... 500 bucks, and yeah, now, now you're a record producer, rock star, yeah. video producer. Yeah, so now... It proliferated the studio. took about a million and a half, two million dollars worth of equipment and squeezed it into a laptop. Yeah, and that's, that changed the whole shit up, man. All the studios almost went out of business. Most of them did. You yeah, know, well, that's why Magic Shop, right? Magic Shop held on to the very end. You know, yeah. all the big ones closed. I mean... Uh, uh, Avatar is still open. Yeah, that was the Power a, Station, right? Power Station. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we cut yeah. um, some 100 percent clothing. We cut. Yeah, up there. that's that. That 20th anniversary is coming up next year. You know, me and Fast are thinking of doing. We're gonna do another mimosa. We're gonna call it. Oh my god! We, we record. We recorded <laughs> a couple songs out here at the farm, like some demos and shit. Then we're gonna nice. go back in in a couple weeks, knock a couple out. I got I got a really good cover song that no one's ever heard before. Well, it, they, they might have heard it, but they don't know it because it's kind of recent, but it's badass. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think we're gonna probably go and do that. So we'll be giving you a call for the studio anyway with that. But yeah, and, when, and, that, and this is where it also ties in. Now, this is why I think you know some people kind of like really 
were against Pro Tools and stuff like that, but I saw the handwriting in the wall, like 2004, 2005, at a rare moment mm -hmm. of foresight. You know, it's, it's happened like twice in my life. The first time was marrying my wife. Yeah, word, me too. <laughs> you know, right? Them girls saved us, man. Yeah, exactly. And then I saw the handwriting was on the wall. It's like studios are going to start closing because the budgets kept shrinking and shrinking because labels were just basically buying new artists. Here's Pro Tools, go make your record. Mm -hmm. Without any consideration, like I said, it, it's the tool. It, it's the fool, not the tool. So you're giving like these tools to people who don't know how to use them properly. I mean, you can use them. You can figure out how to like you know whatever press spacebar and record something. But without that's, a, that's all. It, that's all it takes. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. But well, it's also now it's it's allowed. It's given me access to stuff that it which wouldn't have been possible because of like time and expense. But it's also given people access to me who didn't wouldn't necessarily have the time or expenses to, to be able to do a record with me in the studio. And so just so the listeners know, so it's also cool now, like with you and me, when we did your solo record, we were just sending files back and forth yeah. between each other without ever we were at the beginning, but like towards the end, we were never even in the same room together. Yeah, and that, that's the, I mean, when I came to New York and we recorded some stuff with, with King and things, you, yeah. you brought your laptop through, man. It was like, yeah. and yeah. That, that's the thing where I, I always kind of like, like it is, you know, it's always the, you know, it's always the bad dancer that complains about the music, right? It's it. it <laughs> you better believe it, bro. You know what I'm saying? So if, you know, if you're yeah. going in there and you're like, yo, I'm going to try to get some stuff. I think you're just going to, I mean, someone like you is going to get it. I mean, but I, I even think it proliferated a lot of stuff that you hear now that wouldn't have got to a big studio that ended up being huge because no one would have put money behind it because it was like a grand a day to get in the studio. Yeah. Then you got to start paying engineers. Then you got to start paying whoever, you know. Food, rental, it was roughly three grand a day. Yeah. To make a record. You know, for a decent, you know, a decent record was like three grand a day, roughly. So I remember because when we first did our record deal, there was like literally, you know, it was like almost $100,000 to record it. It cost over, you know, yeah. with everything in. Yeah. I remember it was the biggest bank loan I think I ever took out, man. Yeah, uh, but at the, at the biggest, what, 185% VIG, though? Oh, yeah, but we, we ended up doing okay. We still, we, <laughs> no, I know, I know. I know. We, we, we went all right with that. But it was kind of weird because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of young musicians now, right? And... You know, a lot of them, you know, they kind of say, like, you in New Yorker, you hustle. What what the fuck should I do? You know, how do I get my, my thing going? And you know what? I don't really have a straight answer for them. I only have to, I only say, you got to make sure your shit sounds as good as you think it needs to sound. Yeah. Right? And and get it out there somehow. I mean, that's the thing now. You can, if, if you know, like, for me, example, if people send me some stuff on, on their social media or whatever, I, I might listen to it. You know, and if I listen to it and yeah. it's great, I'm definitely going to play it. You know, and there are a lot of people like me in the world who, who do radio shows and know people who, who publish music and things. So I think the hustle's a little bit different because you're not going to sell any records. Like, Rihanna was, like, number one over here for a minute and got knocked out by Drake or something, but he only sold, like, 3,000 units the week. You know, it's like... or no, yeah. And it's like, I don't know if that's the actual number. I might be a little bit low. But it just seemed to me like it was a low number because I remember the, when the we were... The numbers are low, bro. The numbers are real. They're crazy, though. But it, it, because no one buying shit anymore, man. And it's weird because... Well, you can't compete with free. Yeah, you can't compete with free, bro. <laughs> you can. How do you compete with free? You know, like, you know. Oh, that's the truth, bro. And even with the streaming services now, it's just like, all right, you get like 50 billion streams and the artist is going to get like a check for like $11.18. You want to hear something weird with the streams on the UK charts? If mm -hmm. a, like 10 streams is considered a buy. 
Yeah, there's there's a formula here too that kind of figured out the whole thing too. It's just like uh, it's like tracks with people. I guess it's like a purchase and like a, a stream, like where somebody actually goes on like uh, Sky. I mean, on on like um, uh, YouTube or one of the streaming services and um, like Spotify or something like that. So whatever. I think it's like every five thousand streams equals one sale. Wow, it's that much, Dan. Yeah, it's something crazy like that. Yeah, man. Because I, you know, I remember when we charted, we were moving like you know tens of thousands of records a week. It was like boom, 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 and it was like it, it almost put me off. I was like, I'm selling that many records. How? Who's making all these records? And it, it kind of <laughs> boggled my mind because I was, you know, I, I low expectations, you know, but I was definitely surprised by the volume that the record company was making. Right, because I yeah. knew the numbers behind everything. When they're telling me they're moving ten thousand here, I'm like, wow, you know, that's in a yeah. week or whatever. So, it seems like I, I don't think a lot of times the, the budgets are there because the record company doesn't have that that much of a split. I mean, they got to sign someone who already has a million Twitter followers and all, already has a club hit to a three sixty deal, and who's going to do that, man? Well, that's just it. I mean, sometimes it doesn't even pay if, like, somebody if there's like a you know an upstart artist. Yeah. Which I'm starting to find now, like I'm getting stuff from from people that three or four years ago I was getting stuff that it was just it was borderline depressing, like how mediocre and bad it was, basically. And it just seems to be like this whole flood of like new guys, like younger people, like artists who kind of get it, you know. There's there's no illusion of like oh, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna sell like you know three million records, I'm yeah. gonna go platinum, I'm gonna be flying you know first class and all that stuff. They just kind of get like the whole social media thing and how to work their records, where they don't really need a label anymore. Yeah. You know? So if they have enough of a following, you know, between uh, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, where they can go out and they can you know make ten grand in a couple of weeks, you know, as opposed to like being indebted with a 360 deal to a major label, which, I mean, for some people it has its advantages. For, like, bigger artists it has its yeah. advantages. But for somebody coming out of the box, it's just, like, you wind up losing money signing to a major. Yeah, so, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of the opposite. You always think that that big record deal from that record, big record label would be the lottery, right? But it's actually not even a lottery ticket, man. No, nah, man, it's like you're up at first, you know, you kind of like a... It's like the bottom of the ninth inning, and you're up at you know, you know, <laughs> you got like two strikes against you, and you're you know you're facing like the worst, the best pitcher uh, on the major leagues, and you got like one swing at the bat to kind of hit it. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 nutty now, and there's so much weird stuff going on uh, with with a lot of the artists because I have this this I don't know maybe it's a philosophy rather than a theory, but <laughs> you know like I mean let's go back you know seventy years right. So it's yep. like, you know, it's before World War II, recorded music is actually starting to happen. There's like that, yep. that little bit of music happening where it was really parochial because there was smaller FM, AM stations, right? So they were only going like maybe a state or a couple in a state, not really that big. Exactly. Depending on the, yeah. If that, exactly. So yeah. it was really parochial. And if you had a song that was on a radio thing, be it, you know, a blues song or a jazz song or a... Oh brother, where art thou? Kind of bullshit song. Whatever it was, you could make up. You could hustle around and do your little thing, and it was better than working a real job, 
right? Exactly. And then, yep. you know, when I first got out of the Marines, and I was like, yo, man, I don't want to work a real job anymore, right? <laughs> I said, I'm going to be a fucking musician. That was my shit. I was like, I was I was working at the nightclub. That's how I met Fast. But I was working hard, you know, at, at the club, but I didn't want to work hard forever. And I kind of, like, I, I enjoyed music, but I also knew that I, there was a hustle that involved, right? And I was like, I can totally do the hustle of beats working a regular job, right? Now, yep. that kind of mentality where you don't expect to blow big. I didn't know that our record was going to sell millions of copies when it first came out, but I was prepared to just be that dude that would hustle around and just make yep. it happen. And then everything kind of got really big, and all this kind of weird cult of personality happened, and motherfuckers like Kardashians are famous for whatever the hell they're famous for, and they ruined Bruce Jenner. And anyway, <laughs> no, man, Bruce Jenner, he was my dude, man. I remember that hey, Wheaties man, box. Wheaties, bro, come on. Yeah, man. Wheaties. You know, and I, you know, the thing is, I don't need to know that much about anybody. Like, I don't, anyway, I don't want to know that shit about myself. <laughs> for real, man. Like, I don't really... I, I like Bruce Jenner, but I didn't need to know that he was crazy pussy whipped by his entire family and they broke him. I don't need to know yeah. that, but I know that, and that's what's fucked up with the world today. My point being is that I think people <laughs> people's idea of what success is has changed, right? So if you're going to be a successful musician, it's not playing Madison Square Garden anymore because that's bullshit. It's about actually doing your shit on your own terms, Exactly. So yeah. I think it's kind of gone back to that. Almost the, the circle is complete, but there's no money involved anymore either. So that's the thing. It's like it's not the millions and millions and millions of bucks. It's the maybe 100,000 bucks if you play your cards right. But that's better than working for a living, man. It's better than working for a living. And if you, like I said, if you do it right, though, I mean, you can – like I said, a lot of these younger bands now that I'm, I'm coming that, that, that are crossing my bow and stuff, like I said, they kind of get it. You know, They know how to budget themselves, and they know – you know. You know, on, on Twitter, it's just like my, my the thing I retweet myself most about is like, it's like my pro tip of life is just hire pros. Yeah, well, you know that. The, you know, but the thing is, like in an, in an age where everybody thinks that they are an expert on anything yeah. that they turn their Google to. It, exactly. You know, I think I had that lyric. Uh, what was it? We esteem too easy, easy. And, and obtain too cheaply. Cheaply. Yep. And like, I'm not, it just seemed to me like that really caught a lot of what was going on. Like, instead of actually being like the person going, you know, I don't know this, so I'm going to get someone who does. Yep. It's, it's kind of transcended where we have like a lot of things going on in the world today where we would rather take someone's opinion who is not quite versed at the subject where we're talking about and I think that's exactly. a lot of that social media shit and like I, I think it's a good thing ultimately but it shows us all what what the worst of humanity can be and I think on Twitter you see a lot of that shit you also see the best uh, but you see the, a lot of times you see the worst of humanity like people being crazy petty and angry and bitter and it's like you know that's just the way the world is I think and, and I kind of think before all that stuff we all knew that there were dumb people in the world, Tim, right? Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is we didn't have to hear from them all the time. Now you gotta hear from them exactly. all the time, yeah. man. I think what it, I mean, the way I look at it, there's just like no mystery anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's like no like not not in you know, not not in the sexual sense, but there's no like romance. Yeah. Like I remember growing up, man, getting my saving my money and go to the same goodie on Main Street and flushing, yo, and I'm gonna go buy like Led Zeppelin too. I had no idea what those guys even looked like. Yeah, or where they were from. You know, it's like that. Yeah. If unless you maybe got a magazine and had them in there by chance, you know. 
Exactly. If you had enough money, the, whatever there was, the, the rock magazines back then, it's like you bought a magazine or you buy the records. Like, I mean, I don't have enough money to buy the record, so I bought and the record. Mm-hmm. You're listening to it as a kid. It's like, man, you just, you just, you had to imagine like what they looked like. You, you know, you didn't know what they had for breakfast that morning. You want you to know that they were just bought a new pair of kicks and they go to the movies tonight and they you know pictures of their fucking dinner. Look, I mean flan. Oh, look at the pictures. <laughs> I mean flan. flan. <laughs> I mean flan. <laughs> like who gives a fuck? Like what you know? I don't give a fuck about what you eat for breakfast, bro. It's me and Justin Bieber making flan. <laughs> exactly. I don't give a fuck, man. <laughs> stay tuned and stay classy. There's even more dope stuff coming your way. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I think every, like, I think the, the young, younger generation of kids, man, like these, they, they give these millennials, they be fucking with these millennials a lot, right? You hear them yeah, all talk? It's not their fault. It's not their fault, but you also, we got to keep in mind, there are a lot of millennials that are doing shit and taking shit in their own hands, man. And we don't hear about that because we're kind of focused on either the, I think it's kind of like the extraordinary or the infamous. That's that's all you hear about anybody nowadays. Exactly. Unless someone's really great at something or really fucking horrible, that's all you. Yeah. All those middlemen, and I always consider myself a middleman because I'm like, I'm conservative in some ways and liberal in most other ways. You know, it's like I'm from New York. Yeah, you know? I'm the same way, man. And it, like, just, yeah. and it feels like when I watch, you know, media being like television, like you know, broadcast television, I always feel like. Like, I have to, like, really kind of, like, remember that they're not selling this to me. It's like they're selling it to somebody else who is really kind of not up to date, you know? It's, it, it's almost yeah, like, it's a, like, it's like... Yeah, it's like I was raised by, like, the fucking original bad lieutenant, New York City police lieutenant. And basically what that means is you don't get away with shit. <laughs> you cannot get away with anything. I mean, there's no possible way as, like, a teenager you were getting away with anything. So you kind of grow up around that... That um, that sort of uh, environment where you yourself begin to smell bullshit better than anybody else around you. Yeah. And uh, 
So I, you know, I watched and like the, like the same thing. You turn on the news. I'm just like, oh man, it's like don't bullshit me, bro. Yeah, please stop lying. Well, you know, I, yeah, I'm not buying it. Yeah, I mean the thing is, I think a lot of it is. You know, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine who I was in the Marines with, right? And we were talking on, we, we got together off the Facebook, and I'm calling him up. Uh-huh. And we, he said something I thought was really hilarious, man. He, he lives out on the West Coast, right? And he was like, yeah, you know, I was, I was driving somewhere, and there was this, this, this like, uh, a demonstration going on for, like, these, these uh, young people that, were, that, that didn't like uh, Donald Trump, right? And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. so, like, you know, I'm just trying to get out of there because I'm trying to get home, right? And, uh... He sees this dude pulls up next to him and like motions for him to roll his window down. So he rolls his window down. He goes, "What's up?" He's like, "Hey man, I saw your bumper sticker that you're a marine. I'm a marine too. Yo, we can get out this way. Follow me." And he made a left and went into a parking lot, like a parking garage. It came out the other side, and the dude pulled up. And the guy pulled next to him. He's like, "Thanks, man." He goes, "Yeah, man. You know, I, I know we just wanted to get the fuck out of there, and I, I knew that you didn't know the hood." And it was like a young kid. He was probably in his like his early twenties. And he'd probably just gotten back or whatever, like, on his fucking first hitch. And was just like, yo, I know that a lot of this stuff that people protested and all that stuff, but I'm a millennial, too. And it's like, I actually went and actually did something with my life. And I thought that was kind of important to realize that it's not just all these kids complaining. Most of them are actually in the middle doing, you know? Yeah, because like you, like you said before, it's like the extremes get get all the attention. Yeah, yeah. so you see these kids bugging out, looking really stupid, not really knowing what they're talking about. And then you see, you know, people doing extraordinarily cool things, and it's all the people in the middle that are actually doing the work. Yeah, and it's like, I don't blame the millennials, I blame their parents. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean I'm mean, i a dad now, right? And I make yeah. a point of letting my son know that you don't get a trophy for showing up. Hell no. <laughs> Nobody got it, yeah. You don't, that's not how life works. I mean, you could life doesn't work that way. You could suspend reality for a minute, but you know, if you, you just get out of college, if you displace reality, it's like, coming at you like a fucking freight train. It's not slowing down for anybody. But am I it doing, certainly doesn't give a shit about anybody either. It's going to go right over you and keep going because life doesn't care, man. You know, word, man. And the, th- and the thing is, I mean, look at look at you know, your dad was like didn't displace reality for you because you know what good is it going to fucking do you when you actually come out there and you get knocked in the head? At least no, you know it kind of is what it is early on, and you prepared for it. You're, yeah, exactly. You said you know you're going to get knocked in the head. It's yeah. going to happen to everybody. Yeah. You know it's coming. And you I don't think know that's... when, but you know that it's coming. So you got to, you know, you you know, you kind of steal your heart a little bit. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, my boy's five and a half, so it's like I'm still. He's my boy. I'm, I'm not messing yeah, with too hard. But he knows what's up. I mean, he travels the subway. I, I, you know, he was chilling with Uncle King over the summer in the subway, right? Uh, <laughs> he got his thing together, man. But yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those things where I figured the music would, uh, would kind of like, if you were going to be like a popular musician, it would be brought back to that kind of like parochial gig, you know? Yeah. Where like you're big in a certain area for a certain amount of time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, with, with the social media, though, I mean, you can see like certain, you can see them. Like I said, it's like these guys, they, they, they kind of figured the whole thing out, you know? They know how to not use it in a bad way, but how to, how to like, use it, like, properly and sort of promote themselves and get in a van and do, like, an East Coast tour, and they can set it all up themselves. They don't need a tour manager. They don't need somebody else or everybody with their hands out. They can just do it themselves, and they do, and they go out and they, get, they make pretty decent living. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of cool in a way because, it, it, you know, I... Uh, did you see that book that I wrote a couple years back called Rebel Heroes? And it was about oh yeah, man, of course. It was about rebellion in music, right? And how people yep. sometimes were not being musicians to be famous, but because they were compelled to express themselves, and music was the only way they could do that without their head blowing up. 
Yeah, and all out. And I think that's definitely coming back with the younger generation because, you know, as much as you know, as much as us older musicians like to think no one really pays attention to the stuff that happened before them, we all do, you know. And I yeah. think these young kids have so much information at their fingertips that they're just they they definitely keep the good and throw away the chaff. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Even more, maybe maybe they're more savage than we were with it, but it took us longer to get to the stuff. So maybe it was nostalgic by the time we got to that. Carry on my wayward son record by Kansas, but they, they <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I know, right? But nowadays, I people like now nah, 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 I'll go with that main riff. But I think the kids can digest things quicker. Like their inputs are more jazzed up. You know, they're firewire, man. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, because it, it's all instantaneous. It's right in front of them. It's all there for them to you know either absorb or not absorb. But it also could be overwhelming. But do you think? Yeah. I think the instincts are generally better. Like they're not as. They're not not filled with any self doubt that I can see. It's like if they're going to do something, they just go and do it. Musically, that is, you know. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like that's what I'm noticing with the past couple of years. I've definitely seen a lot more of that, you know. But also from a, like a, a technical end, kind of like where where you know where I live in the music industry, I'm seeing I'm getting stuff in, particularly stuff that's been recorded like with acoustic instruments. It's clearly recorded by guys and gals who never had, like, any sort of mentor. Yeah? Like, they just think they're the shit because they just did it. I'm like, no, you're not the shit. That's like, this is shit, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I, I see stuff on, like, Instagram where these, like, these Chinese kids in China, literally, like, eight-year-old little girls with the, like, you know, that are shredding, like, Ingvay Malmsteen, making Ingvay Malmsteen look like he's standing still. But that doesn't make you... But you so it's like the technicalities of it. It's like... In music, it's not about being like it's not like a, being a fighter pilot. You know what I'm saying? It's it's art. It's not about being the Top Gun. You know what I mean? So exactly. you can play all that shit, and, and then you have BB King playing one note in the span of like you know four bars, and it's the best damn note because it's got all that. And feel. you know, it's BB King from a hundred more, you know, hundred oh, yeah. yards away. You know, it's BB King. But I, I, I no, but for me, it's like it's it's more like the technical stuff. It's just like okay, I, I bought this microphone, and I bought these microphones, and I bought my Pro Tools. But I don't really, nobody ever showed me exactly how to use it and where, like, you know, where the landmines are and how to avoid them. It's like they read in the magazine that this guy used this microphone on a drum, but not really ever, like, bothering to tune the drum or to move the microphone in a really specific location. So I get, like, these tracks in and they're, like, you know, boasting of, like, how great they are. And I, and I open them, you know, so I get the file sent to me and I open them up and I'm just like, you know, clearly. Like, nobody taught them, or no, nobody ever told them that they suck. Do at you, some point in life, somebody's got to say, yo, you suck, bro. You suck. Go you need to go get again. better. But yeah, Go I, get better. You know, I, I always think that, you know, people who are, like, a little bit entitled uh, to have an opinion tend to be entitled in a lot of other ways in their life. Exactly, and, and yep. that's just. I, but I think people always been like that, dude. But they, yeah, it's just like like you said, because everything's at our fingertips now. It's like yeah. it's just human nature, man. It's just like there's nothing new about it. Yo, you used to have a saying. It was quality control. Where's the quality control? Yeah, where is it? Like, every once in a while, like I'll watch like a movie or something like that. Like, what a world! There's million dollars on this fucking thing. How many fucking times was there an opportunity just to say? No. Or just to say, can someone else have a look at this? Because I'm a little so forest through the trees thing, right, with this. Exactly. Just Somebody could have said no. You know. Man, but, but, no, no. 
But then there was Ishtar. I watched that recently. <laughs> when Warren Beatty fucked up at the Oscars. Yep. And, he, and like he didn't really fuck up. He was just like, I'm gonna I don't know what's up. He 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 had doubts, man. He was like, Am I fucked up? Did I just have yeah, a Yeah, he was like, kinda like looking like a deer in the headlights there. Yeah, but yo, if that happened to me, I'd be like, Did I smoke too much weed today? Oh my god. I'm gonna let Faye <laughs> Dunaway read this shit out. She's straight, you know. <laughs> no, but he looked like man, he was just like huffing paint. <laughs> yeah, I know, bro. Laughing, he was like, I should be up robbing an old man, I need to go back home. Like, I mean, you know, my... Dude was like eighty two years old, man. I saw yeah. I fell for you know? Oh man, it's crazy, bro. But anyway, so like you know, I, I think I, when it comes around, like with the quality control, man, it, we, we used to we used to wonder where it was, and it's. I think sometimes if it always seems like everybody's so savvy now, like you know, if someone's gonna invent a new style of music, like when trap music came out, right? Yep. That was one of the things that just did not have any quality control on purpose. Exactly. It was like almost like we're going to by design. In, yeah, in spite of your quality control. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is cool for like you know, for you know exactly that. Yeah. But if somebody's going to send me like you know, it's like oh man, we're doing like this like this roots rock kind of thing, and we're, we're going for like this you know like this you know like an edgy sound, and I try to explain to people like, look man, there is a fucking canyon in between edgy and rough. And shit. <laughs> you know, nobody would ever like listen to like back in black and say, wow, man, that's a really pristine recording. It's like, no, man, that's edgy and raw and punchy and shit. Mm-hmm. And like, I get these tracks. I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a real edgy. I was like, no, no, man, that's just fucking bad. It's badly recorded, man. Do you, well, I mean, with, nowadays, with all that stuff, like, if someone sends you some fucked up shit, right? But there's like, like I guess a lot of times, like, because you're a song kind of guy, and so am I. I'm like a song guy. And like, it's all if, about the song. Yeah. If the song's in there, is there a way you can like unfuck it? Absolutely. Is that that's where your genius comes in, right? Is that have yeah, to do with? Yeah, I mean that's my job. Really, is how I look at it as a mixer is to present the song to the listener in the most easily translatable and digestible way. Like you should be able to listen to that song and understand exactly what the artist was trying to convey. Did you, I mean, does that come back? Because we used to think, like I used to think when I started producing records, right? There was like the main three, which is like drums, bass, vocals. And then the other yeah. stuff, kind of like guitar, piano, that kind of sits melody style. But yeah. when, when you mix stuff out, is that like the kind of... Because we work together and I kind of think I know, but but you do a lot of really interesting techniques when you mix stuff. Yeah, it's, for me, the, the lyric is the guide for everything, every decision that I make on the sound of a record. That's yeah. interesting because uh, you know it's funny because you know if you if you talk to my boy fast it's like I'll listen to the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, bro. No, but I mean if you know, and I'll ask an artist too if, if it's not a, immediately apparent. I'm like, yeah, you know, it could be interpreted like certain ways. I'm like, is this like a first person sort of narrative? Is this third person? Or are you telling somebody like you know I love you or like how how are you telling them? That, or like where are you? Where is this song being told? So, you know, I'll get that from them. It's like, oh, it's like, no, it's not really first person. It's kind of like third person. And that will immediately inform me, like, how to play things in the mix and what sort of effects on certain instruments and where to place them, like, further, like, dimension-wise, like, further back in the mix so it sounds further away Uh or the vocals could sound a little bit further away, based completely uh, on the lyric. Yeah, I I remember when we were working together, I think it was... 
We were all very worried about you. Remember that song? Yeah. Was that on Loco? Yeah, that was that. Uh, yeah, that was local. That was on Electric Lady. Yeah, Electric Lady. I remember we were we were mixing that thing, and you were like, "Yo, that's brave, dude." And I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" And I know you listened to the lyrics. I think you were talking about the lyric. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. Like, that's brave that you would actually talk about yourself like that on a record. And yeah. I, I didn't realize up until that point that that song was about me. Yeah. That's the fucking crazy shit. It's like sometimes as a as a I'm not say an artist, but a songwriter. You just write a song because it's like a feeling you have, right? You you don't yeah. really know the perspective or you know the the personage and all that kind of stuff until it's almost to the point where it's, where you're where being mixed, and that's kind of like yeah. where the that's the translation. Because I think in a lot of ways, you being a musician and also an engineer and also a regular guy, you know, yeah. it, it, no, that yeah. makes the, but that makes the perfect kind of translator. Because you could talk to people and you could talk to musicians and you'd be like, look, I, I think I could be the I think you're the bridge sometimes between, you know, that stuff. Because everything I hear you mix, it's like it's got, it's really, it's accessible to people who aren't experts in that field. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's what I, that's how I look at my job. Is like literally to make sure that that lyric, that song is just presented in a way where it it's just immediate to people. Like you shouldn't be guessing as to like what it is. Yeah, or where the vocal is, or where the beat is, and stuff. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. When you when you try to, it's kind of weird, but like when you kind of mix on different speakers and things. That's how I noticed when we first worked together. You had that little auto tone speaker and. Do you still have them? Do you still, I know. Do, do you do stuff where you like listen to on a phone or anything like that to see how those things come out? Uh, dude, I'm looking at it right now. I have my Iowa boombox that ah. I bought in on Park Row at JNR Music World <laughs> back in like 1997. Yeah, literally, dude. It, it's like uh, a couple of years ago, we got hit. And destroyed by a hurricane, Hurricane uh, Sandy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, she took. Yeah, like she, she took my records my out in my studio, and this thing was underwater. It's a cassette player and a CD player and an AM/FM radio. I plugged it in like you know, like maybe ten months after we cleaned up, you know, got the house, putting the house and the studio back together, and the thing still worked. It smelled like a grilled cheese sandwich, but it still so, worked. Yeah, <laughs> a little worse than that, but so I'll burn a CD and I'll drop it in there to check mixes on. Wow. Yeah, I mean, if they, and if there's something that's going to, like, be wrong, it's really apparent the second you put it, it on, like, a real shitty system. It's like, wow, man, that fucking vocal is way too loud. Or like, wow, man, I must, you know, that fucking hi-hat is just way too soft, you know? Yeah. So, I remember like, this. Like, I'm sorry. Like no, gut check, you know, it's like, yeah, listen, to, I, I'll listen to this stuff on my phone. Yeah. Like, the little, on my phone, yeah, hell yeah. I guess you. I mean, that's that's kind of the idea. It has to sound great on like a pair of Focal speakers, and it's got to sound great on your iPhone. You know, exactly. Yep. That's it's a that's a fine line to walk. I mean, I remember that story you told me about Mo, of, of uh, oh no, what was that band? Uh, the dude is, is, is people only had one speaker because you, you kept you kept. Oh, it was Mob Deep. Mob Deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Mob Deep. Like, the volume would just be so loud in the room, like what we were mixing and stuff like that. I'm just like. Guys, man, I need a career in front of me. I'm doing doing like permanent damage. To my <laughs> I got a career at a cellular level on my body. It's like <laughs> if you need me, I'm right outside the door. Just like just wave or whatever. You don't have to come and get me. I'm right here for you guys. So like, all right, cool, man, cool. That's cool. Time to go. So I'd, I'd leave the room, and you know, there'd be like the horns would be kind of panned to the right, and you know, like the other horn sample would be kind of panned to the left. And I come back in, and I listen, and everything is like right up the middle. 
well, Pam, like, I thought I was like, so finally I've had to ask. I'm like, you know, like, Havoc, how come every time I come in here, everything has moved up to the middle? And he said, and it was kind of hard to argue with him. He's like, yo, man, like, you know, some of my, my, you know, my people back in the hood, man, their stereos and shit is just, like, broken. So they don't, they don't want to be getting half my shit. They only have one speaker, man. Oh. You know, speakers, they don't want to be getting half my shit. So I was like, I can't argue with you. So, but I, you know, I did say after, afterwards, though, I was like, well, you know, if they can't afford to fix their other speaker, how are they going to afford to buy your record, bro? That's and he's true. like, all right, I got to get it, bro. All right, all right. So and it's kind of weird, but uh, you know, there there used to be that that thing where people weren't that savvy, right? Yeah. I mean, now every day everybody knows. Like, it's weird because the casual person would know what we're talking about. We're talking about panning horns left and right. You kind of everybody kind of knows. Yeah, it's just a it's a stereo thing. And I think like sort of like auto tune broke the mold for all that too, because like once once you know. Auto tune. It was kind of like inside baseball for like engineers and producers and stuff like that and musicians. The auto tune was like, oh, that was like total inside baseball, but nobody knew what it was. And then it just became a thing. Yo, Cher, right? Didn't Cher do it? Cher did it, man. Exactly, dude. And it was so once like technology kind of became almost like the, it was kind of like, like um, I don't know. It was like a bandmate almost. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you, if you listen, like people who do who do it in hip hop, it's obviously Kanye West. Like, it's yeah. like what he does when he wants to do his singing vocal. You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's almost like people would that opened the, that opened the door to like people understand the technology. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you're right, man. And also, it's kind of <laughs> weird because even things like Garage Band gives you that kind of idea where it has like a you know a fairly use easy user interface vibe. So it's like you know all that. I think I think all the Apple kind of stuff has made everybody a lot easier with technology, especially our generation. Like my yeah. kid, my kid knows exactly what to do with an iPhone and iPad. It's yep. just, it's instinctual for him, man. But for us, we had to we had to see this shit created. That's different. Yeah, and people talk about multi tracks. Oh man, I got like my sixteen track recorder, and it's just like you know, no, trying to explain that to somebody even like fifteen years ago would have been impossible. But now everybody has it. Dude, remember when we were doing the first record? We had two three inch tape machines, two inch tape machines. Listen to me, two two inch yeah. tape machines synced <laughs> together, man. Yeah. No, we still we did that 100% Colombian. I think I don't think we uh, went to Pro Tools until um, I want to say Loco. Yeah, I think some of Loco was done on that, but we were used, we were at uh, we were at uh, the place on Quad. yeah we were at Quad, and that's when Joe Strummer was there. And Dude, I will never forget that day as long as my li- as long as I live. That's you right. guys were in the control. You guys are in the live room. I'm sitting in the control room. And every once in a while, you just know when like, there's somebody behind you and standing there because you just feel them. Like yeah. you didn't hear anybody in there. You just like just know there's somebody behind you. So I'm kind of like I, I put my head over my shoulder, and Joe Senior's like sitting right behind me. He's like, "Oh man, I don't, you know, I don't really mean to, to barge in, but you know, Huey said he'd be up here. I'm just like, dude, you're Joe Strummer. You can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm sitting here with you. I was like. The one and only time, dude, I got, like, starstruck. That's, like, my joy just hit the floor, man. I was like, oh, my God, it's Joe Sr., man. Yeah, Joe Sr. was the dude, man. I met him, and uh, he came—Uncle Mike was watching our dressing room at this festival 
in uh, Scotland, man, tea in the park. Uh-huh. And we were, we were changing out of our suits into our, like, sweatpants or whatever. And Joe Stormer just walked in the dressing room. We were like, holy shit. He's like, what's up, guys? And we, <laughs> and he was, like, the, he was, like, the most, uh, he was my hero growing up. I loved The Clash. Yep. They're one of my favorite He's bands of all time. But Joe yep. Stormer in particular was, like, the guy I identified with because you could tell that he had just kind of done this for the fuck of it. And it was working for him. And he was smart. And he, and he has heart in a good place. Anyway, he was yep. that guy. Yeah. He was, he's, he's, he's a dude. He was yeah. just like, you know, you turn yeah. around, he's a, I, I, you know, just like I said, I was gobsmacked. He was sitting there and then it's just like, wow, he's like the coolest guy on the planet too. Just like, yeah, he, just like told him to be, you know? He called me up when he came to New York to those Brooklyn shows, man. He's like, he goes, yo, we hanging out? I was like, yeah, we hanging out. I was like, where are you? I was like, I'm at the studio uh, doing some stuff with the criminals. He's like, all right, I'm coming by. And you'll hear a funny story about that day was, he came by that day he saw you and then we started like I think we were doing something in the mix room and the live room was empty because he went in there trying to like take a nap man he was like I'm gonna rest <laughs> before my show and like yeah we're cool with that and he was yep. gonna like hang out in some baffle blankets or some shit and we were like no dude yep. there's yep. a fucking bedroom here Joe and he was like yep. really I was like yeah he goes this shit is cool so we opened up this bedroom which is towards the window the elevator's there yep. oh yeah towards the back yep. yeah and, and he was like yo wake me at 6pm we were like whatever cool man no problem <laughs> and then Anthony and his boys from the band came over and then yep. it was like 5.50, and they're like, yeah, we, we're going to get Joe. We're going to go to Brooklyn. I was like, you ain't waking him up, man. And they're like, no, no, we have to wake him up. I was like, at 6 o'clock, I'm knocking on the door. <laughs> Don't make me get violent. You know, I was like, you know, <laughs> being real protective of my guy, you know, because I was my dude in my, in my studio relaxing. But I remember at, at exactly 6 o'clock, I was like, and he's like, hello, Huey. I was like, all right, man, he's ready to go, man. <laughs> Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, it's like man. you know, like the, the saying, "Never meet your heroes." Mm. Sometimes that's true, but in that in that particular instance, I, it certainly was not true. Yeah. I, I told him that when I told him that thing one time. I said, "You know, you hear that? Never meet your heroes, bro." But I met you, man. He's like, "Fuck you, man." <laughs> I was like, "No, you know what I'm trying to say, Joe." He's like, "Fuck you, man." But he like, because he used to tell people to fuck themselves in the most a beautiful way. Exactly. Yeah, it was like that. I did. Um, so I was working on a, a Lou Reed record. And uh, David Bowie came in to sing on one of the songs for a couple of days. He's doing vocals for a couple of days. Cool. Yeah, and I'm sitting there, and it's just like it dawns on me, like, these guys were equally responsible for each other's career. Yeah, in a way, it was kind of... Because Bowie produced Transformers. Yeah. They like, kind of put each other sort of on a map together. And to see them in the room together, like, 35 years later, and they just, like, the you couldn't get more opposite of human beings. <laughs> There's yeah, like yeah. curmudgeonly low in the background, grumbling and done. And then walks David Bowie. I'm just like, man, I really hope that. Yeah, I just pray, man. I was like, please, just, just don't be a dick, right? <laughs> and he comes in. He's like the most affable, just warm. He's like this really cool guy. Oh man, he's oh, great. God. Thank God, I, man. I met him like I don't know, maybe. I met him in '90s. Or like 97 at a festival He was mad cool right And like he, Every time he'd come to New York If he felt like calling me up He would And I'd, I'd bend it all out For David Bowie And we got to like Where King worked And shit like that yep. And go yep. out to the nightclubs Because he always wanted to go Like where, where the young people Were hanging out And that was that's yep. why He was so awesome Because he was He was like a He was like the true Citizen of the world Kind of guy Because I knew a lot of people Who knew him around the world He did the same shit he was yep. just really awesome, and I met him again at this at the Tribeca Film Festival. I was dating that actress girl, and mm-hmm. uh, 
that girl knew his wifey mom, right? Yep. So they start to talk, right? And of course, it's fucking David Bowie. And when they're talking, I'm like, oh, what's up, man? He's like, what's up, Huey? And like, we go off and we start smoking because that's what we do, <laughs> man, you know? <laughs> so we're doing what we're doing. And, uh, you know, he's, he says, you know, I'm Huey, you a Marine? I was like, yeah, dude. He goes, this is right when the, 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 the Iraq War started. The second one, the second one. And uh, 2003-ish, around there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what do you think about this whole thing going on in Iraq, man? I was like, man, as a Marine, I just always think it's a terrible thing that you got to send for the Marines, man, because that means someone's <laughs> getting fucked up. And he was like, yep. yeah, he goes, I, I think so too. But he goes like this, but I'm a faggot married to a Muslim. And right, and like I look at him, and he's got that fucking—he's got that twinkle in his eye. Like, don't yep. you think this is fucking funny? And I just started laughing. I was like, "You are a crazy motherfucker, man!" <laughs> and he was just like, "Oh, Huey, I'm an old crazy." Mother. I was like, "Dude, you are, yo, man, let's go out and get drunk." And you know, <laughs> yeah, we we got hammered that night. He was a great dude like that, though, man. I mean, it was just like he. You know, he did. He went. He went to the live room and did his thing, and like Lou was like grumbling in the background. <laughs> I'm like, David. So you know, so David comes in. He's kind of like you know, not like shy. I go, oh, how's it sound? I was like, well, you know, tell you the truth, this fucking sounds just like David Bowie. And he just started cracking up. Exactly <laughs> what I meant. I'm like, dude, like, you're fucking David Bowie, bro. What's it? What the hell? Come on, you sound just like <laughs> get done. <laughs> It's, it's odd, though, man, because a lot of those dudes are actually really humble. Like, Joe yeah. was very humble. And, you know, thing David yep. was very humble. A lot of the yep. dudes were just, like, because they kind of knew at the end of the day that it was, like, you know, what Keith calls lightning in a bottle, man. You know, if, yep. it, if it happens, great, but you know exactly yep. what it is. It's not because... Yeah, you know, and you know it could be gone tomorrow. Yeah, and that's the, those, those old-timers knew that shit, man. Yep. And they lived, you know, they, they had to live like that, too, because you just know, I mean... We all know people who, you know, who had started out with great careers and sort of just, like, faded off into uh, the ether, you know? Yeah, it's just, a lot of people can't handle, I don't want to say the stress, because I don't know if it's the stress. It's the, yeah, it is. Well, maybe, I think it's, like, the reality of it, because, you know, you when, when I first came up, you know, they pumped you full of all that hot air, man, and I wasn't yep. going for it, because I was a Marine, man. I was like, yeah, I know, <laughs> don't fuck with me, I ain't stupid. And I think a lot of people... Uh, we're, we're all too happy just to think that that was how real reality was, man. And yeah. I, don't know, I just think it was like you just had to keep yourself grounded. I was 27 before when we got my record contracts. So I was grown, yeah. really. You know, yeah. you were you you were the same age as me, pretty much, right? So yeah, I'm like a year or two older, like a I, year and a half older than you. Yeah, I'm 48 now, so yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm 50. All right, so yeah, so I'm, I'll, be, I'll be 49 in, in August, but it's yeah. just one of those things. Like it's it's I, I just kind of thought that we had that same kind of you know. You always got to keep that kind of same mentality, man. And, like, the, yeah. the thing that I learned from Joe and David and all those real big timers, even, like, Bono and those guys, you can say what you want about that dude, but, yo, he never, you know, I don't even want to say it on the podcast, but he never sucked nobody's dick, man, all right? You know, that's Bono, man. He's yep. That's what he fucking believes. And I know there's a crazy shit in the world. You could be on the phone with him talking about something, and then he'll bring up fucking world peace, man, because that's who the fuck he is, man. Yeah. And if like yeah, you know, there was a period there, and I, you know, it was probably me and not him, where I just wanted to hate that fucking band. So I really <laughs> wanted to. Hate it. I just wanted to. I don't know why you want to fucking hate you too. And when they dropped that tune, baby, 
I was just like fucking so hammered. To, I, I was like, I could not believe how great that fucking record was. It, it's sick, man. I mean, those guys recorded such amazing music, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a and David... actually, uh, I think it was through you because your boy Tony was actually doing their security. Yeah, job. yeah. I think he's still working with them. Yeah. So it's like you, you guys hooked me up with him, who hooked up me and Ruth. With the whole VIP thing, the whole thing at oh, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man. You know, it's like, I really just want to see the show. It's cool. It's like, man, I love you guys. It's like, oh, Huey. Oh, my God. You work with Huey. We love that shit. It's like, I just want to go see the show. And it was one of the rare times as an adult that I just sat there, just absolutely plastered to the floor. I couldn't move. They were that good. Those guys do not fuck around. I mean, we toured with them 20 years ago, man. We went on, like, we did, like, a, I think, like, 30 American dates and through Canada with them. And they were playing, yeah. like, we were playing freaking football stadiums, like 100,000 people, man. And they those owned. guys, they owned that shit. They owned it from the front to the back and all the way in yeah. between, man. There was not a night that they didn't kill a whole fucking place, man. I mean, I was there. And that comes with, yeah, and that only comes with time because I remember, dude, I was, it was, Probably 1984. I saw them right after Boy came out. Yeah, at, that was at Stony Brook University, out in Long Island. What was the, and, what was the gig out there? What was it? Uh, Stone Pony? No, that's Jersey. No, that's, that's Jersey. Stony Brook University it was like a, this college. This big. Well, I know where it is. Yeah. Yeah, out in Long Island, and I had never seen anything like it in my life. I was like, holy fuck! It was one of the best shows. I, I still remember the show. So, like I said, I went through the period when I wanted to hate them, and then all of a sudden, I was like, I can't deny, I just cannot yeah, you deny. you can't deny them, man. You know, there was yeah. a, I, you know, there's a reason, like, they just had the perfect storm. I mean, it was, and you know, the thing is, these guys are still together, breaking each other's balls. You know, like, yep. when, when Bono goes and, and does something silly, you know, edges on his ass, and Larry's yep. on everybody else's ass. It's, you know, there's still a good squad, man. You know who they looked out after was Bulldog. Because he was yep. in that he was in that fucking Bataclan shit with uh, yeah, with fuck, Eagles man. of Death Metal man. He was the tour yep. manager, bro. And I just uh. had dinner with him last week, man. And he's he's good, man. But he was like, it was kind of weird because you two called them up and was like, you know, we have a jet in in country if you need to get out and stuff like that. Which is you know that's why those guys and you two are pretty fucking awesome because they're not they don't just sit around like Doctor Evil, man. Man, they 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 absolutely get it. They're just good people. That's yeah. what it comes yeah. down to. And and also, in my estimation, I think they are the last and final in history, the last supergroup. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I was talking about some of the other because we were talking to Bulldog. And anyway, he was saying that he asked for Tony when they when uh -huh. Bono called up, and he's like, Tony, you mean Tony, Tony? Like, yeah, Tony. And you know, for those who don't know Tony, he's a he's a super commando. Anyway, so yeah, he's like yeah, he's, he's like, like he is that guy. A little bit more than security. Yeah, he's he like, is that guy. So many different levels. Yeah. Anyway, but they they were like yeah, because Bulldog wanted to talk to someone who had been in that kind of situation before, and you know they were just really super cool, man. And they brought them. I think they they flew them back at some point, too. I don't think Bulldog went all the way back again. I don't know if he was uh -huh. down with that. But, yeah, he's doing good, man. And it, it's kind of odd because if you're in this business long enough, you realize they're only, they're only like, maybe 50 or 60 people you keep seeing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's not like they're, like, thousands of people kind of, like, washing through the rock and roll business. If you're a certain age, it's just a bunch of us, man. We know each other. Yeah, everybody knows each other. Yeah. But I think, like, I think they're the last super group who would be, you know... Like like the, uh, like the stadium. Well, you know, sellout. like I think you're right because you know 
I remember seeing them, and I was not necessarily a big U2 fan. I knew the singles, right, and all that shit on yep. MTV and stuff. So I was pretty versed with their stuff. But when we opened up for them, the first night we were in Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Uh-huh. Wow. Big, big gig, man, yeah, right? And uh, I, was, I watched their show after we played, right? And then, first of all, the crowd was really nice because they know that U2 picks their own opening bands. Yep. So that's like a history there. So the people that were there early came to hear what U2 was listening to, which is great for us, you know? So people were really cool, and I sat and watched their show, and I knew every fucking song they play. And yep. they, <laughs> like, every song, every song. Yep. And dude was like, his vocals were super on delivery. The band was super tight together. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I, every night I was just like, wow, that's how a band's supposed to be. And that's what... When you see, like, you know, I saw the Stones with Dave Grohl in Jersey for uh, Ciani's uh, Stag Night. Yeah. That shit was crazy. And th- they, they were killing it. But they're the Stones, man. They've been killing it for 50 fucking years, man. Exactly. But, yeah, you 2 are the only guys that could do that. I don't think, like, Coldplay or any of those bands have really got that many songs. Some of the songs, are they going to be around 20 years from now selling out stadiums? I don't know, man. I don't know who's going to be doing that shit, man. That, and that's what I mean. It's, it's like even like you know with the past, and we love we, you know the the music family lost so many last year. That was crazy. And I was saying like people just don't. I don't know if they necessarily agree with me or disagree with me, but it's like I don't. And I don't really mean it disrespectfully to anybody current, but I just don't see anybody who kind of like took the torch. You know, like who kind of like tr- was trying to like best Prince. Yeah, just doing shit like that. It's. Yeah, because like Prince was always trying to. He was, he wasn't just trying to be Prince. He was trying to be better than everybody else before. Yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, he was like, like he was trying to fuck with the best. He was trying to fuck with Mozart, man. <laughs> man. Well, yeah. You know, Prince was. So, but but I, Prince don't, was I, I don't see anybody really taking the torch like the David Bowie torch. You know. Yeah, I, I think this. I just think it's going to happen, but it might be from a different point of view, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you got to look at those, those guys in particular, right? I mean, I mean, who? who uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you know, who would actually be the person that would try to be the best at everything? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I, don't mean I don't mean to even mean it. I don't completely like not disrespectfully or anything, but it's just like I just don't see anybody kind of like filling that void. You know? Yeah, it seems like yeah, because also it's. You know, where are you going to go with music now? Because Prince did take rock and soul and R&B and funk and squash it together into Prince music, right? Yep, yep. David Bowie took soul and blue-eyed soul and funk and rock and indie, whatever. He started indie probably, right? Glam, you know, whatever you want, and squashed it into David Bowie music. And all the people that we talk about that we love that just were the most amazing talents, they weren't doing a certain type of music. They're doing their music. Their music, yeah. Right? It didn't sound like anybody else's. You know, like, for good, bad, or indifferent, if you put one of our records on, Tim, you know it didn't sound like anybody else. It sounds like the Fallen Up It Criminals. sounds like Fallen Up Criminals. And I think that's great, and that's why I made that kind of music. Because I always thought it was yeah. important, you know, just to be different. And I think in this in the, in the age of everybody being the same now, kind of, I mean, when you hear, like, stuff on broadcast radio, it's like, oh, gosh, man. Like, and, that's, I, you know, and that's also, like, the, the, the technology side of it, like, my end of it. It all kind of ties together because it all sounds the same. Now, do you find, I mean, when you do, like, like if you're doing, like, the, a new joint or whatever, do you listen to other stuff to see what not to, what to avoid, maybe? Oh, absolutely. Like, my, my morning routine is, like, I'm up early, man, I'm old now. I go to bed early, I'm up early. So yeah, well, I hear I you. Put on, 
<laughs> yeah, so my morning routine is like, I, you know, I make my coffee and I sit down and I power up and I put on Skype and I go through like the hot 100, whatever the fuck, right? So I want to hear what's going on and I'm listening. I'm almost like, man, this is, this is just some ass. <laughs> it's poorly written, poorly produced, and, and it sounds like shit too, and poorly engineered it's, and it's treated exactly how it was approached. And, and, and I look at it as, a, as disposable. You yeah. Know? Well, we were talking about the, the theory of the McDonald's, right? You know, we, everything's everything's just everything's just really instant gratification. Yeah. I mean, you you got you you got a Big Mac in Moscow, or a Big Mac in Montana. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Word. You know. So everything kind of got like Happy Meals. You know, it's you know, it's, but I think particularly with R and B, that's that's I just find disappointing. You know. It's been the same drum sounds for fucking 25, 30 years at this point. Well, isn't it like Pete Rock is responsible for everything on the radio? Because his, his snare sound is like, literally, if you take that Pete Rock snare sound, that's like on 80% of the music out there. 80% of the back, yeah. It's crazy, yeah. man. You just get another snare sound, man. Just get, know, a different, get a different sound. Write a song with a bridge. All right, so, yo, you got to clear something up for me, man. What the fuck is up with mumble rap? Like, you're, like, you're talking old man. He's talking a fifty-year-old man. No, but yo, I, but you actually, <laughs> yo, I just feel like, like you know, little Yachty and and uh, little Uzi Vert and these kids, man. I hear it and I'm just like, all right. I was around when like Planet Rock came out and all that real yeah. shit, and it just you could at least understand what the fuck they were saying. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Un- you have to be like. You have to be from their their fucking building to understand what the fuck they're saying. They're I not even neighborhood, but from their literal from their building. Yeah, from their building, man. It's like, yeah. yo, man. What I mean, what is going on? I don't know. And yo, do you like Drake? I, I know I'm supposed to. Uh, yeah, me too, man. Because he's Canadian. That's why, man. Because yeah, he's really not a Drake. Like I mean, he's probably a nice guy. Before we even talked, about it's like I know I'm supposed to like him, mm. but I just can't find anything to hook onto. Yeah, you know, it's... It's it's, it's not like he's... I don't find him bad or offensive or anything like that, but I just, I, you know, I can't... Yeah, I feel you, you too. Know? He seems like he's a nice guy. I think I met him one time, and he was he's nice. I think I met him. Someone said I met him, and he was nice. I was like, that he's nice. But I'm, that he's Canadian. They're all nice really up there, man. They're nice Canadian people, but yeah. like you said, there's nothing really that's... I mean, he's like a theater kid or something, isn't he? A theater school kid or something? Because he seems yeah, like he's, he's just way too polished being unpolished. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. There's like no there there or is he? Just to quote, you know, Bill, my, my, my hero Bill Clinton there. Yeah. My hero bullshit. Uh, <laughs> dang. You know, and it's it's kind of like the same with like a lot of R&B. I mean, there are some that I just you know, it's, it's the same thing with the weekend. It's like I know I'm supposed to love him. Yeah, I, I can like some of it. Oh just like, man. I'm just like, it, it seems. Huh. Yeah, it just seems like the like. Like, those two guys in particular, because yep. they're, like, really... You could tell they're talented dudes, but they seem like exactly. they're, they're, like, ah, there's just something going on where it's just, it's, it's, it's not... I don't think it's, like, so it doesn't hit the authentic button on me. Definitely not, man. But, like, Kendrick Lamar? Yeah, that's well, just, yeah. That's just real. Kenny got crazy shit, man. You, you know that guy Supercat? Yep. That fucking record had me bugging. He was like, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. He's like, yep. ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael McDonald. I was like, no. Yeah. Those are like two of my favorite fucking guys on one record. Yep. So, so you knew he's a bass player, right? But he Did played, not know that. Yeah, he's a bass player. He plays this big old kind of like, it looks like a, 
it's weird. It looks like an acoustic, like you know, mariachi bass, but it's electric. Uh-huh. It's like it's. It looks like it's kind of semi hollow, oh, whatever. Yeah, it's the Ampeg baby bass. Oh yeah, it's cool, man. But you, it's it's big, You're like a motherfucker. Yeah. But yeah. dude, also play. I think he played drums in the Suicidal Tendencies. What? That's crazy, right? He's cooked. He's not crazy. You know, he, yo, you got it. It's too slight. He's hooked up with them somehow. Because remember, uh, I don't know. We toured with uh, Porno for Pyros back in the day, right? And that was Jane's Addictions, yeah. the dude Perry yep. Farrell's band, right? Yep. And all those dudes from LA, all his crew, they were all Crips from Venice. But they were white dudes that were Crips yeah. from Venice. It was a very weird dynamic. But I rolled with it. And they had this dude that rolled with them called Josh the Bagel, and he was a crip, and his best friend was this guy, Mike, who was the singer Mike Muir from the Tennessees, yeah. right? And Schnapp knew him, too. So there was, like, this big fucking West Coast yeehaw we had with all these crips. We used to go out there and fucking hang out on Electric Avenue and walk up and down the fucking boardwalk blazing and shit with all these crazy <laughs> gun, with these crazy gunned-up dudes, man. That whole shit was all cripped out, man. And this dude. And now it makes sense though, because now I'm looking at. I get the video. I can see the video on mine for institutionalized. He's got the, you know, he's wearing his colors. The blue bandana, man. Yeah, he's got the blue bandana on. And yeah. like, you know, I, I'm like, I was from New York, so I'm like the blood crib. I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm here for the ladies and the marijuana, you know. And <laughs> I'm not here for the violence. But yo, those, that, that's how this guy Thundercat. If he was down with them, I mean, he's a pretty awesome dude in that respect. If he played drums in the Suicide Tendencies, but that record sounds really cool. I like him too, man. Yeah, I mean, it's some really cool stuff out there, but like the stuff that I know I'm supposed to like, I'm just like, I, I just, you know. Yo, the la- the record of my my record of last year was maybe that new Tribe record, I think. That was yeah. I mean, they I am so I don't know what the word is, but I'm just like, again, as a fan, a huge fan of them. I had the, the the pleasure and the fortune to work with them. But I was like looking forward. I was like kind of looking forward to it, but I was like a little nervous. I'm like, oh man, what this? Yeah. It's been a long time. I don't, I don't, you know, wasn't, didn't know what to expect. And I was like, I was like, I was like blown away by what, what Q-Tip and Ali had done. Yeah, Tip, when, I mean, it, they recorded at his, like, home studio, right? Because yeah, he built, like, a, a whole thing, like, down in the spot. Yeah, man, see, because he, he had, he moved, because remember he lost his record collection when he had that fire that time? Big fire, yeah. <sighs> but anyway, so this new record, I'm listening to it, right, and it's from an, like, absolute big fan, huge fan of Tribal Quest, right? I was like, wow, this was, like, one of those records where you could tell, like, you know, they had a couple takes of of uh, Malik doing some shit, and, it, like, that was all they had, man. But yeah. they, they made it work. Because I think nowadays it's also, if you have a good, if you have a good background for production, like, you know, those guys work with you, so they know there's the quality control there. Exactly. You know, you can make something that's not necessarily, like, high-definition, high-fidelity work in a high-fidelity, high-definition Arena, if you make it sound a certain way, that record was just killing it, man. They killed it. And Jonathan, pl- Jonathan kills the bass, man, right? Yeah. I yeah. don't know. He played bass. He played I, think bass. Ali, I think Ali, yeah. Oh, yeah, Ali, Ali played the bass. Too, Ali hang, you did a lot of stuff with uh, Rafael Sadiq. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, man. You did that big record with him. They also had yeah. that dude who, who uh, was it, uh, uh, Anderson Pack? He played drums on some shit. Yep. yep. He, he rhymed on that record. He's really good. He's good on the. The Dr. Dre Compton record. Yep. Yeah, I like that dude's voice. Like, he was like a session drummer for a minute. Yeah, it's like I said, it's like that record, I was like, really, I was just like so excited for him. Like, oh, oh thank God, man. Yeah, that was my, that's been my gym record for the, since the, like the first of the year. I've been been hitting the gym and hitting hitting the, that record. And it's always when I get to... I was like, hitting gym? I'm like, what happened? What, what did Jim do to you? What, he steal your money or something? Yeah, like, Jim, you money? Jim be talking to my girl without my permission, man. 
<laughs> he's getting handled. He's getting handled, man. But yeah, that's my record. I do this like twenty minute high intensity uh elliptical thing and I know it's almost over when that, that kids song comes on with Andre two thousand, three thousand. <laughs> kids, don't you know how this shit is fantasy? Kids, don't you know how this shit is fantasy? But that record is so insightful and, and those guys have always been the type of band that they did it right, don't you think? They 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 ended their career with an amazing record. It was number one in America, you know, yeah. critically acclaimed. They went on the, the Grammys and made it interesting. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, just Huey Morgan. Well, my man Tim Latham, ISP, and that's the thing people don't understand when they see your name and it says ISP. Like the but people think that it's was like, like before, like email, so they don't know what the hell he's on. My my own service provider. What the hell he's on? Oh, it's International Sound Pimp. And that's been, and it's been. You know, who gave you that, man? I think, I think maybe I gave you that one, didn't I? Oh, <laughs> uh, it was this band out of Atlanta, actually. It was a really, really cool band, and um, it was like one of those things where, like, they were just too good. Like, it was just like went over so many people's head that like nobody can understand what to do with them. I remember specifically that they were called themselves the Modern Hip Hop Quartet, so the Modern Jazz Quartet, but there's yeah. three of them, and they just wrote like these amazing songs. And like one of the lead, the lead guy was just like. He's like, man, Latham, you're, you're like a pimp when it comes to this sound. Like, you're like a, like a, a sound pimp, but you work all over the world. You're like an international sound pimp. <laughs> and that, that was 1993, and that shit, 92, and that shit just stuck. Yeah, man. But you're also three so Visionary Award winner, multiples, you know? Yeah, multiple Visionary Award winner. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean they give you some two-inch tape to kind of keep in your basement or anything? Yeah, exactly. Like, literally, my it was... Uh, so the people listening know there was a, a a manufacturer that manufactured basically like floppy disks and <laughs> and like tape. And what like tape? Floppy yeah. disk? What is this you speak of? Yeah. So they they, they were manufacturing like tape and like floppy disks and stuff. And they um they gave me they came in. I remember when Platinum Island like gave me like this like this piece of marble like this beautiful you know this beautiful thing. It was, it was a nice plaque. Vision. It was a nice plaque, man. It was a nice plaque. Yes, it's nice flight, and um, it's funny too because it's, it's in my in-laws' house, and my brother-in-law is uh, a retired Secret Service agent. So you've got like pictures of like, him and like George Bush and Barbara Bush and him and like Bill Clinton, and there's like this 3M Visionary Award for Mob Deep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yo, Mob Deep protecting the president—they're two very important things, man. We need them both, man. <laughs> yo, Tim, I'm gonna let you get busy, man. Dude, it was good talking to you, man. We should do this again, bro. Absolutely, I'm pretty sure we will be soon because of uh, another mimosa. I think I need another one, bro. Yeah, man. Well, I'll send you what we've been working on. Dude. Tim Latham, International Sound Pimp. I love you, bro. It's good talking to you, man. we got to catch up and have some you dinner. Morgan. You and Morgan, one of my favorite people on the planet. I love you, bro. I miss you, and I can't wait to see you again. Likewise. Love to the family, brother. Back to you as Becky and the kids, bro. I will. I love you, man. I'll talk to you soon, brother, man. Thank you for this, bro. Yeah, I love you. Right on, man. how'd you like that? Did you keep up? Good. I had a great time talking with my old buddy, Tim. He's an awesome guy to catch up with. And especially across the pond, I love technology. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Continuing the musical theme to my pod next week, I'm talking to the modern day pod father, rapper, actor, label boss, and true gentleman, Scroobius Pip. So tune in. You don't want to miss this one. In fact, better than that, subscribe, my peoples. It really helps the pod if you rate, review, and subscribe. And don't forget to sign up at HueyMorgan.com during May, or during any time. But in May, you get a very special chance of winning a dope exclusive merch bundle. Until next time, y'all, stay classy.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.